0: All right, so that's just a little promo video for the series, and so it's going to be several weeks right through to Easter uh, Sunday, so it's, it's online, it's on our uh, website, different places. When you get sent it to you by the church to share, share. How many we sent the video out? You shared it. How many shared it? How many don't share? How many never share? How many just are opposed to sharing? Should share. We want you share. We want you to there's some really great things happening in people's lives. It's wonderful. God's answering prayers in people's hearts and lives every week. And we're so blessed to see people's lives being touched and healed in so many different ways. So we want to talk about torn. So torn, what is torn all about? Well, torn is all about uh, John 19, 30. And it says, Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up a spirit. And then in Matthew 27, 50 to 51, it says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He cried out, It is finished. It's done. I mean it is complete. And he cried out in a loud voice, he yielded up a spirit, and then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom from top to bottom. And that was a veil that was woven together, a veil. And that veil, you could put you could put a team of horses on either side of that veil and they could pull and pull and pull. And they wouldn't tear that thing apart. When something is woven together like that, I mean, it's strong. It's really strong. And that veil was torn, I think, significantly and symbolically from the top to the bottom. Because I think God said, I'm out of the box. There's no barriers between me and my creation and I can now love them and pour myself out upon them and I can enter into them and I can flood and fill the earth with my glory in a much more increased fashion. So the veil is torn. So how many know what what we got pictured up there on the wall there? That's actually a picture of the veil. That, that was the temple veil. That's what it looked like. And so that veil is there. Behind that, we didn't expect the cross to be that bright, but it is bright. And each week, we're just going to start tearing that. And we're actually physically going to tear it because, and then on uh, Easter Friday, we're going to tear it right away. And then on Good Friday, we're going to clothe it and crown that cross because the veil is torn, but also the grave has been torn open, the stone is removed, and Jesus is alive to enforce his reign and his rule. So we want to talk about some things that got torn, some things that got messed up before we get to the fact that the veil is torn and the grave is torn open. Amen. So I want to deal with a really big, big subject today, and it's a subject that the church talks a lot about, but I don't think it's really ever been defined really well, and yet it's a big, big subject in the church. Does anybody know what it is? Sin. Sin as I'll tell you, in the basics, the torn relationship, we're talking about between God and man. And we used to do these little illustrations. I used to draw little pictures for people on napkins or whatever I had in front of me. And I would say, here's God, here's man, and the problem is sin. So simply put, sin is the problem and Jesus is the solution. I mean, that's basically it. There was a torn relationship between, you know, God and his creation and sin is the problem and sin was the problem, better put, and Jesus is the living solution that brings everything back together again. But then the question has to be, what is sin? <clears throat> now, if we were making something, creating something, and then we both tasted it and it tasted like junk, we'd say, man, that wasn't what we expected. It's marred. It's messed up. And to unmess it, we'd need to know what messed it up. To unmess up whatever we're creating, we'd have to know exactly what it was that messed it up. Otherwise, we'd introduce all kinds of other things and try to unmess it. And by introducing things without knowing what caused the problem, we could introduce all kinds of other things that actually make the problem worse. It's like sometimes with your physical body, we're not sure what's wrong, but we're going to give you this. Take three of these, take four of those, 10 milligrams of that, this and that. Then all of a sudden, your liver starts to fail or something else goes weird or blah, 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 because they've never really properly diagnosed or understood what is the problem. And if you don't really know what the problem is, you can really mess it up by trying to figure it out. And I think the church has really messed up people because we keep on trying to address sin without actually really knowing what sin is. And we got people onto all kinds of other programs and efforts and things trying to deal with that thing that's keeping you from God. And yet we don't even know what that thing is. We talk about it a lot. I think you might think you know what it is. Could have lots of definitions of it, but what really is it? What in essence is this problem that has entered into this torn relationship between God and man? Are you ready? Ready? John Piper, John Piper, I think it's a pretty good definition. John Piper says sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from the heart that does not treasure God over all other things, a heart that prefers anything above God, a heart that does not treasure God over all other persons and all other things, that is a heart that's kind of engaged in sin. That's an interesting definition. Now, Karl Barth, Carl Barth. Great theologian in his book Christian Dogmatics. He said, It is true enough that unbelief is sin. And when it talks about sin in the Bible, often it doesn't talk about sins or sinning, it talks about the sin. There's a sin, there's that sin that indwells your flesh. The sin, the sin, it says there is that sin that kept them from the promised land. Not sins, but the sin that blocked us. And I think in Hebrews, when it talks about the sin, it's talking about unbelief. And I think Karl Barth could be right, that it's true enough that unbelief is the sin, the original form and the source of all sins. And in the last analysis, the only sin, because it is the sin which produces and embraces all other sins, unbelief, Treasure anything else besides God. Elevating anything else in your life above God. I mean, you can't go up the mountain of the Lord if somehow your soul is lifted up to vanity. And it's when other things have captured a place in your life and God is not treasured as he is Sin, the essence of sin, and all kinds of other activities and things follow from that because you have not treasured God as God. Those are some interesting definitions. Those are some interesting. Well, what is it? What is it? Now, now religion teaches sin management. Here's some things where you've screwed up. Here's some things that are wrong. Here's some bad behaviors. Here's some stuff that is offensive. Here's some things. There's unforgiveness. There's adultery. There's, there's pornography. There's, there's lies, there's hatred, there's all these things. Stop it. Manage it. Read your Bible more, pray more, do something. Deal with the junk in your life. Go out there and be a better person. Come next week for my next sin management course. <laughs> be a better, I want to be a better man. I'm trying harder, I'm trying harder. Try harder, try harder, try harder. Try harder. God did so much for you, come on. Try harder. Wow, how many got into that one? Just a little bit. Let me show you another video. Can I show you another video? Cue cue a video up for me. Here it comes.
1: Hello, my friendly friends. I am am Katie Carrot, representing the ginger population. And speaking of carrots, um, have you ever felt like there's a perpetual carrot dangled in front of you in the system of religion and religiosity? I, for many years, um, felt like uh, Jesus was always elusive, the spirit was always elusive. His promises, his blessings never, never within reach, always just slightly out of reach, always out of grasp. And that's, um, it's no way to live. But when Jesus makes himself real, I'm not chasing that carrot anymore. I'm not spinning my tires. I'm not striving, I'm not trying to reach what's already within my grasp. He's good, he's kind, he's loving, he's in the songs I hear, he's in the people all around me, he's tangible, his presence, his Holy Spirit is here right now, and I don't have to try for that, he's everywhere. And he even makes me bold and strong enough, and this is a miracle, to sit in front of you and record this video after being voluntold that I had to do this and I have messy hair. So this is evidence of the grace of God right here before you.
0: I love that. Don't you love that word voluntold? Have you ever been voluntold? It's where we needed a volunteer and we couldn't find one, so we told you to do it, so you were a voluntold. Love Catherine. You know, Catherine's here Wednesday night, I said, I need one more testimony. She's like, what, but, 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 She was voluntold and she did it for her pastor. She was so good, you know. I love Catherine. She's the bomb, and you know I, I think it was—I think it was even more significant that it was done how it was done, because it's—it's uh, it's not about the performance. It's funny when, which is—don't tell Kelly, but whenever Kelly has to do a video, she needs to know a day ahead of time because she has to paint the barn and all that stuff, and she comes in just all done so well. Don't tell her I told you, but it's so funny because—because uh, she wants, she will not do it unless she has advance notice so that she can get it all done the right way. Shh. But I love Catherine. Catherine just said, she had her hair all pulled up. She says, let's do it. (laughs) I love it. So uh, she represented all the ginger. She's a doll. The very, very best. Religion. Religion. Religion teaches sin management. I mean, here's Paul. Paul was an awesome law keeper, and yet he called himself the greatest of sinners. Philippians 3, 5 to 6, he says, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, concerning persecuting the church, he says, concerning righteousness, which is the law, I was blameless. Literally, he says, I was perfect. I kept it all. I did it all. You know, you can be a law keeper and still be absolutely lost in sin. Totally lost in sin. Keeping the law will not restore your relationship with God. Keeping the law can literally lead you into legally committing more sins with the law. And they they who know the law, those who are perfect in the law, that's why Jesus said, you see these guys, these law keepers, they're really, really good at it. Your righteousness has to exceed theirs. Are you kidding? That's why I don't go to church now because I can't be like them. What he's saying is not try harder to be better than them. He's saying the level is way higher than what they've even set. They can't even do it no matter how hard they're trying. Your righteousness exceeds that to make us all cry out for help me. The only way you can get the righteousness of God is through faith in the gift of God. It is a gift. And the only way you get it is by receiving it. And yet religion keeps you on a treadmill of trying to be right with God. And that itself leads to sin, more sin, gross and grievous sin. Can I get an amen? All right. That was good. So To know what sin is, let's just look a little bit about what it's not. A couple things about what it's not. Number one, it is not an invisible coating on things that we must avoid or we'll become contaminated. You might think that's funny and it is a little funny but that is what the old covenant people believe that's what the old testament people believed the old testament church that's what they believed that's why they had so many ceremonial washings and ceremonial cleansings and they did all these things and then when you did get contaminated you had to go through all these rituals because you had to get what was on you off of you and so they were taught a lot how to avoid getting a bug like, sin was like a bacteria. It was like a virus. It was like something that, that, that you had to protect yourself against. And you had to make sure. And literally, most of those laws were just ceremonial cleansing laws because God is saying, you guys are going to go through a desert. You know, if you're going to keep your food and all these other things and what you're going to do, here's a lot of ways to live better. And here's a lot of ways that life will work a lot better. So God said, I designed life. I designed everything. And if you follow these things, you're not going to get closer to me. And in fact, if you don't follow... Follow them, you're not even going to offend me. What you're going to do is you're going to hurt yourself because these rules are good for living, but these rules will never make you holy. In that we, we took on, and even you say, oh, those Old Testament people, wow, don't touch Frida, you know, she's got scurvy. You know, if you touch her, you get the scurvy. And they believe that. If you touch, if there was a woman who was barren and couldn't have a child, they wouldn't even hang out with that woman because she said she's got something, she's cursed. There's something on her life, don't even go near that person. And there's different things and afflictions. And they thought if you had a sickness, it's because something got on you and you deserved it. or You did something wrong to get it. And, you know, you got infected because there's this coating over top of everything. And you got to be careful or it'll get you. You know, there's bacteria in this room right now. If you could see it, you'd probably, eek. If you checked the fingernails of people you shook hands with and put it under a microscope, you'd go, oh, my God, I touched them. But that's the way they saw sin. And you know, we brought that into the new covenant too and we started to do a whole bunch of don't touch, don't taste, don't do this, don't go there, don't hang out with them, don't watch that, don't pick this, don't eat that. And we got into a lot of that. And that was all old covenant stuff. But none of that really had anything to do with sin. Those were all ways to live and things about life and things that would help you. But God, I love what Faye was saying. God, even when God asks you to do something you don't do, it. he doesn't stop loving you. He's not even mad at you. He's still totally there. What he asks you to do would help you and help somebody else. But whether you do it or not doesn't change the fact that he's nuts about you. Hello, how are you doing? Right, so Colossians 2, 20 to 23, it says, Paul's so frustrated because he says, I mean, it's freedom in Christ. It's the spirit of God. It's a freedom that comes by faith alone. He says, and yet these people have come in and they're trying to add to the good news of the gospel. They're trying to add to what Jesus has done to bring you and restore you to your father. They're trying to add now a bunch of rules. You can get closer. You can get better. I know Jesus brought you all the way in, but you can get all the way, all the way in. I know he brought you into union with himself. You're in absolute fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But you can get closer than that by doing this, 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 this. Avoiding this, avoiding that, avoiding this. And that's where Paul, he said, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Oh my goodness, stop it. Yeah, we live like that. How many, come on, be honest now. You've been in a new covenant relationship and people said, if you really want to please God, you got to avoid stuff, watch out for stuff, look out for stuff, don't touch this, don't touch that. Only got one hand in the back that's actually willing to say, I had some of that taught to me. All eyes closed, heads bowed. (laughs) But Paul had to deal with it right away in the early church. He said they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And see, if you're struggling, you know, trying not to deal with what it is you're struggling with will never change you. Leaning fully into the finished work of the cross will. Trying to stop whatever it is that's messing with you is not going to change the situation, but leaning fully into the finished work, reckoning yourself perfect in Him, totally free, totally forgiving, announcing that over yourself. That's when you need faith, when you're a mess and your life is a total disaster. That's when you need to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you absolutely are. But religion gets you on this treadmill of, well, you know, I know we're safe, Pastor, but are we pleasing to God? Yes, we are. Absolutely pleasing to God. I loved Jesus when he started his ministry, hadn't done a lick of ministry, gets baptized and the heavens open. This is my beloved son in whom I am going to be well pleased. No, in whom I am well pleased. Getting the well-pleasing principle established in your life helps you live out of the fullness of what he's done for you. Please, settle down. I'm trying to finish. My God. All right, we can get into that a ton more. But you get it, right? You get it. That, That nasty covering that, you know, careful, you'll get infected. See, in the old covenant, you could get infected by touching bad things. In the new covenant, Jesus walked up to lepers and he touched them. And that was even before the, before the cross. Jesus walked in and he said, There's a bigger principle involved here. There's a law of life that's involved here. And you know what? You can actually touch death now and bring life. In the old covenant, they are avoiding everything. And there's still people in the new covenant avoiding everything, trying to be more pure and more holy. It is laughable. It honestly is. It's the finished work of the cross. That's why it's finished, it's done. It's done. And it's a terrible thing when we're trying to manifest a new covenant truth with an old covenant theology. There really is an old covenant, and there really is a new covenant. And you got to know the difference, and you need to know which one you live in. Okay, let's go to the next what is not. It's not. Here, you ready? Okay, you're going to freak you out. You ready? It's It's not simply breaking the commands of God. It's not simply breaking the commands of God. I talked about it a bit already, but Luke chapter 6, verse 9, and then Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And they were always messing with Jesus. I mean, his disciples were picking things in the fields and eating. They were doing stuff on the Sabbath. And I, I can't believe it. You guys are always breaking the law. And then they were studying Jesus and watching him because they believed even healing somebody was a work. And here's Jesus on the Sabbath healing somebody. And, and they're they're setting him up to break the Sabbath rules. And Jesus said that. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You're missing the point. Before God made any rules, he made man. He didn't make the rules. because, oh, I got man. Let's give him some stuff to obey. The rules were never things to be obeyed. The, the rules were things that God laid out because life works better that way. And it really does. And it's this, I created everything. It's like, uh, I remember Henry Ford. Henry Ford, he made Fords. And he pulled up at a light one day and there's a guy out front cranking this thing and it wouldn't start. And it was a Ford. And so this little scrawny guy jumps out of the car, runs over, lifts the hood, tinkered with a few things. Goes, Give it a shot. He goes, he goes, man, I've been here forever. How did you figure out what's going on? He says, I made that car. I know how best it works. See, God made you and he knows how best this works, but he's not giving you a bunch of commands and a bunch of rules because he's saying, now I've given you hoops to jump through so that you can be pleasing to me. And that's what we've turned it into. We've turned it into, you know, now make sure you're constantly obedient, you know. And you should want to be obedient, but not out of a law-keeping principle, out of a well-pleasing principle, out of a principle that I am in a relationship with a loving father, and I'm nuts about that relationship, and I'm not doing stuff for him. I'm just simply, I love what faith said, I'm following him. Say, I'm following him. It's really easy. You know, you know, when somebody else is leading, you just follow. And it's so much easier to just follow somebody. Just keep your eyes on them and follow. And it's real, simple stuff. But we turned it into a lot of work, and we turned sin into a lot of work. And sin is a massive subject, honestly. I took pages and pages of notes I'd written down this morning. I was in full-on crisis, trying to throw out what was unnecessary, just trying to add, was I better leave that. I better keep that. And oh, my goodness, I'm going to mess up this whole subject. And it's a big subject. I should probably do a whole series on sin. When's the last time you heard a real whole series on sin and what sin really is? I mean, maybe we should do a whole one. Because a lot of people messed up about sin and what it is. And when you're messed up about it and yet it's your biggest problem and you don't really know how to deal with it you can add all kinds of other crazy stuff to it trying to get rid of it but you don't even know what it is how you do it this has been helpful a little bit yet. Yeah, just a little. there's so much, there's just so so much. All right, Colossians chapter 3: 13 to 14. And you being dead in your trespasses, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting, wiped out the requirement that was against us, which is contrary to us, and he's taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What did he do? He took the law, he took everything that was against you, all those things that were opposed to you, and he nailed it to the cross. Done. Finished. Completed. Boom. That doesn't mean you, you don't do stuff, but now you do stuff out of that inner working of that relationship with the Spirit of God. You don't have an external thing. Okay, let me read the rules today. Be kind to people, love people, be patient, be long-suffering. Get out there and do your best. I don't have to try to do that every day because in my relationship with God, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the relationship. I have a heavenly Father. I'm plugged into the vine. I am a son. I am a child. It's in my DNA. It's not something I perform. I didn't have to learn to walk like my dad. I didn't have to learn to look like my dad. There's people who's like, man, Carl, I thought it was your dad. I said, ah, well, that's awesome. My sister-in-law, i walking through a parking lot, she says, oh my goodness, I thought it was your dad. And I went, well, that's pleasing. <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome. My dad was awesome, but he was kind of short and fat. <laughs> but you know what? I got the very spirit of God living in me. Yeah. The very Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost. And you know what? He's working in me and he's doing stuff. And I tell you, there's times that I run into things that are unpleasant and yet suddenly kindness. I'm going to respond with kindness to this. Oh, that wasn't a work. It was natural. It is unnatural to be unkind. It is unnatural for you to be angry. It is unnatural for you to not be gracious and giving. It is unnatural for you not to be long-suffering because you're rooted in it. And it flows in your very DNA at a cellular level. God's done that. Oh, okay, that was good. Thank you. All right, Romans chapter 3, 21 to 23, so much good stuff. And, and Paul talked about sin in Romans a lot. He used the word sin, I think, 48 times, was it? Uh, 40, yeah, 48 times he used the word sin in Romans. Romans is great. It, all the doctrines, except for the doctrine on church and the doctrine on last times, every doctrine is dealt with in the book of Romans. So you read Romans and you get a, a real good foundation for things. But in Romans, he said, But now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, it's witnessed to by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. is so good. And, and so the faith that I have in Jesus Christ, it says I have that, and to all and on all who perform, hallelujah, who believe, who believe who believe, for there is no difference for all, say all, all. all. Paul went through the first three chapters, he grouped everybody in, the people before the cross, the people after the cross, if you were a Jew, you weren't a Jew, you're a Gentile, slave, free, whatever you were, whatever background you're from, Paul went to great lengths to take everybody and group them all under one category, for all have sinned. There's nobody, there is none righteous, no, not one. In fact, all your righteousness, all your efforts are filthy rags. If you got anything in your life that didn't find its source in him, that wasn't from him and a work of the spirit in your life, man, it doesn't even register in eternity. All your striving is nothing except the fruit of the spirit and following him. That is the only thing that registers in eternity. There's a lot of people baking cakes that he never ordered. Martha, Martha, you're busy about a lot of things, but Mary, she got it right. Hello. All have sinned and here, here it is, you ready? Here's a really powerful definition. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God wow he really concluded this whole dissertation to group us all he went to great efforts to group us all you can't it's not it's not ethnic it's not lineage it's not were you in abraham or not it's none of that it's not where you were born what country you were born and it's got nothing to do with any of that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god wow well, let's, let's go back a little bit to the start and try to figure out what Paul's talking about. So Paul talks about sin 48 times in the book of Romans. It's a noun 46 times. Say 46. Say two. It's a noun 46 times and twice it's a verb. It's a noun. Person, place, or thing. It's something. It's not an act. It's not something you did. It's not something that happened. It's a noun. Sin. That Sin. So it's a noun. Forty-six in the times. Hamartano, the verb is to be without a share, in to miss the mark, to err, or be mistaken. Hamartia, which is the noun, is an equivalent of two sixty-four, which is hamartano, the verb, to be without a share, to miss, to err, to be mistaken, to miss the mark. That's Thayer's Greek definition, Strong's, all those things wrapped up right there. So what is what is sin? What is that word? It's to miss the mark. It's to be without a share. So what mark then, we have to then do that, right? Weren't you, you were immediately thinking, well, if sin is falling short of the mark, what's the mark? I gotta figure out what the mark is, right? Well, what is the mark? Well, it says the mark is the glory of God. Oh, so God wants us to live in a certain way to please him. And if you're not living your life every day to please him, you're falling short of the glory of God. That's not right. That's performance again. So perform right and you're not sinning. Glory, what is glory? Then you need to know what glory is. Glory is the word doxa, which comes from doceo, which is exercising of a personal opinion which determines value of something it is in, which has inherent and intrinsic worth. We sin when we do not embrace God's, val- I put values, that's unfortunate because it's not values. We sin when we do not embrace God's value. I shouldn't have put values. That's like, a, that was like a demonic S right there. That S stands for Satan. <laughs> Should be moved out of there immediately. Because then suddenly you go on this performance thing of going, oh, what are God's values? It's not about what are God's values, what is God's value? Very interesting thing. Faith up here saying, I'm not sure where we're going with this torn thing, but somehow she felt excited about it and looking forward to it. But you know, Faith says, what is God worth? What is his value. I'm like, man, this is is really good. This is some good stuff here. then she said stuff like, just follow him. And I'm like, and she said, there's stuff I tried to do, but he's not displeased. But Faye just preached the sermon. I can actually take up the offering. We can all go home. (laughs) Well, it's nice when you get another witness. But glory, doxa, exercising personal opinion, which determines value that something has inherently or intrinsically, it has intrinsic worth. So, Then I'm saying that I give glory and I manifest glory when I value something that it has value and it has intrinsic worth. And I say that has amazing value. I agree with it. My opinion is that this has amazing value. Are you following me? So missing the mark would be when you decide that you dismiss the value of God or you dismiss the value of his creation or you dismiss the value of yourself in God's eye. You have sinned when you have an opinion that is other than God about the value of himself, the value of who you are, or the value of others. And that's what happened right at the beginning because that's what took place and what it eventually led to, the first time sin is used, I think it's Genesis 5-7. I mean, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and wants to have you. See, because what was Cain doing? Cain wanted to devalue his brother because he got into comparison. He let that fallen mindset creep in and he said, I can't stand that my brother's better than me or somehow he did something better than me. I'm comparing myself to him and now I'm ticked off with God because God somehow was displeased with me. I'm ticked off at him and I'm ticked off at my brother. I'm so mad, I'm going to kill him. And God says, hang on now. You're about to devalue me. You're about to devalue your brother. You're about to look at things in a very, very sinful mindset here. You're just about to let sin master you and rule over you. Don't do it. But he said, I don't care. And you see, that sin, when you say, I don't care what you say, I don't care the values you've put on things, I'm gonna take it in my own hands and I'm gonna live independently of you. That is the essence and the root of all sin. And believe me, it can still happen in the most holy and righteous of communities. Well, I've never never murdered anybody. I don't lie. I don't go to movies. I don't cuss. I've never touched any things that you shouldn't touch, but I'm better than you. Me! You're the greatest of sinners right there. So that's what Paul said, I mean, I was a law keeper. I was the best of the law keepers. I was the chief of sinners amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Wow, pastor. Trying to condense all of these notes. It was so much work. You have no idea. I'm like, Lord, help me please to try to make sense. of this. So we sin when we don't embrace how God values things, or even when you don't embrace the value of yourself, because you know who talks to you more than anybody else? You. And when you don't say really good stuff about you, that's sin. That's just wrong right there because God values you, and he declares great things about you. All right, pastor, come on, let's go. Yes, I got to go. All right. Okay, so what is the mark we fall short of? Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, because here's where he starts it all. And you can go through a whole list of things where he says, when you don't value things properly or see things and have a great opinion about God and the way he does it, you exchange the truth about God for a lie. You exchange the glory of God for images. You start to trade other things. You start to mix up the whole process because you've missed the one area where you've not kept God as the one opinion that God is awesome, and I agree with him. And when you don't say God is awesome and I agree with him, you begin to turn the truth of God into a lie. You begin to turn the glory of God into worshiping images and doing your own things. It goes through this whole list of things. But here's what he says in 18 and 19. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. It's not gonna be revealed, it is revealed. Literally, you know, sin is a big deal. And when you do trespass or transgress or operate in iniquity, it's a big deal. It's not that it's not a big deal, it's a huge deal. But it doesn't affect him, it affects you. Like, God's not up there going, oh, mad at you now, gonna have to step away. God doesn't step away when you sin, He steps in. But we think He steps away. Well, He separates Himself from sin. Where? If he did, he could have, Jesus would be trying to walk on the earth. I mean, in Matthew, a tax collector, I mean, there's two types of categories sinners and Tax collectors. I mean, oh my goodness. And he says to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew follows him. And what's the very next thing? He goes to his house for dinner. You just went not to just a sinner's house. You went to a traitor of Rome. You went to a thief and a dog. You went into a robber and a thief's home. And he invited all of his friends. Who were they? Righteous people? No! That kind of guy only has messed up people as friends. And then Jesus goes and he hangs out with them. But the whole time he cannot look at sin because he is holy. Okay, where's, where, you know, where's the matzah? You know, where's, what are you doing, Jesus? I can't even look at you people. I can't believe I'm here. Oh, my God. Follow me. He didn't say, Matthew, if you would change, if you would recognize how awful your ways are, and if you would give up all of these things, you can follow me. No, we just walked behind the desk. There's Matthew ripping people off. Hey, you, follow me. And then there's Peter and those guys we got to hang out with this dude now? Is he crazy? I can't believe we're hanging with him. Matthew's like, I can't believe I'm hanging with him. He's got one messed up crew of people. Are you you with me? A lot of people take text, they they take proof texts, take them totally, it's not a proof text, it's called proof texting. I want to prove something, so I grab a text. They take it out of context and develop their own pretext, and then they have false doctrine. Because it doesn't match the full revelation of God. How are you? You're really, really quiet. Somebody told me that that means you're listening. Okay, sorry about that. Well, here I was wanting my needs met again. (laughs) Sheesh, come on. I mean, I'm feeling really sad about myself up here. I got a bad opinion. I'm sinning while I'm preaching. You're not doing very good. Nobody's saying amen. Shut up! God's wrath is being revealed. Ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, what do they do? They suppress the truth. In unrighteousness because what may be known about God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. He goes on and on and talks about all the things people do when they do the one thing. They do not acknowledge that God is glorious and that we are glorious and they've lost their opinion of who God is and I don't want to follow him. I want to follow my own plans. And the most insidious following is when you follow in a religious manner and you've deceived yourself into thinking I'm doing what's right. Okay, praise God. Don't get too intense, Pastor. What is ungodliness? Let's look it up. Ungodliness is the word ascibiae. And it means... Want of reverence towards God. It is the opposite of the word revere or adore. It is disregard for for God's, God's person. Ungodliness is not bad behavior. Ungodliness is unbelief in the grace of a good God. It's saying, God, who needs you? I am doing really good. I got a really great plan. It's working for me. You can take the day off. I'm awesome. that's ungodliness. It's not stuff you do. It's an attitude of your heart where you've decided that I have a different opinion of you right now. And I have a different opinion of the way to do stuff than you've shown us. I'm going to work out my own plan. It's a pretty good plan too. Pretty self-righteous. Okay. Thank you, pastor. Amen. It's good. Romans 5. Chapter 9, verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Okay, I got to roll through this now, okay? Because we got to do communion together. Say roll, Pastor. Come on, roll. All right. So two pictures right here. Boom, boom. Here they are, one is the tree of life, is Christ remaining in grace, remaining in his performance. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's Adam. So it's a tree of knowledge, it's not an evil tree, but it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what it does is it introduces that I'm gonna live my life by law and legalism. I'm gonna live my life by outer performance. You know what, you can have a legalist and a person who's living by grace standing side by side, and they can both look exactly the same. But one is not at all really pleasing to God, and the other is totally free. And yet they both look absolutely doing the same stuff. Woo! All right, Genesis chapter three. Take a look at this. The devil, this is the devil. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. So here's the lie. There's something better and God's holding out on you. What? I used to have a really good opinion of God. I thought God was awesome. I thought God was to be revered and I would honor only him. And I would, But you know, that's what this is about. He's holding out on me. I have changed my opinion about God and I've decided that I will become the master of the universe. And so they decided if there's something missing and he's holding out on us, I'm changing my opinion on God. And I'm going to develop my own my own way of doing stuff and thanks for everything creator almighty filling everything in every way but me i'm gonna do it myself they ate of the tree and when they ate of the tree here's the thing when you eat of the tree they took that sin into themselves and that touched them right in their dna and all have sinned because of the disobedience of adam isn't that such a drag but here's the great thing all had sinned in Adam, and they all got grouped together, all have sinned. But here's the good news. But now, by faith in Jesus Christ, all that brokenness is removed, and you're restored to a right opinion and a right understanding of the glory of God. And how did that happen? By faith in the finished work of the cross. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. So what did they do once that came in? What did they do right away? They also had a wrong opinion of themselves. We're naked, oh my God. And they ran away, they hid themselves. Now God, knowing they sinned, didn't want to hang out with them anymore. Said, you're off my Christmas card list. God knew what was going on, but here's God. Here's his approach to fallen, sinful mankind. Where are you? No, he can't look at you, you're terrible, you're wicked. When he comes in, he go, what are you guys doing hiding? Oh, we're naked. Who told you that? What happened? Well, she screwed up. She you know, She was hanging out with that serpent there and got sucked in, and where were you at the time? Well, I was with her. <laughs> so you didn't say, Eve, maybe we shouldn't. have went, ah, I agreed, I thought it was pretty good, let's have some. So she got deceived and you just followed along. Yeah, pretty much. And we think woman was the problem. Duh. All the women in the back clapping. (laughs) Elbowing their husband. Thank you, pastor. That's good. I said, man, I'm telling you right there. I tell you, that went the wrong way right there, didn't it? (laughs) They hid themselves from God. And you know, anytime you feel like hiding, you got a wrong opinion of God. You know, if you've screwed up, what do you do with your dirty laundry? Take it to the throne room. What? I go down to Tommy Sudge, clean it all up first, then I come and say, look at that. Good as new. He's like, no, the only place that gets dealt with is with me. I take care of that. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And yet we step into performance and all kinds of crazy stuff. We hide. Hey, I haven't seen your church for a few weeks. Yeah, I've had a rough couple of weeks. So what are you doing? I don't feel good about myself. Well, that's sin. Not what you did, but what you're feeling right now. What you did is not really that big of a deal. But the fact that you're letting that keep you from God, you got a bad opinion of Him because He's nuts about you. Yeah, well, He might be nuts about me, but Pastor Cheryl, she gets really ticked off when people scrub. <laughs> So, I think he'd welcome me, but she, she'd be pretty mad at me, right? No, actually, she wouldn't. She even never gets mad at me for never doing the laundry. So, it's awesome. I mean, believe me, she lives with a total screw up and she loves me anyway. So, she's not going to get mad at you. But we hide. And anywhere where there's hiding in your life, that's sin. The sin is you're hiding from God. Because, you know, God's nuts about you and he loves you. And if you got a problem, quick, 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 hey, did you see that? I did. Can we get rid of that? Absolutely. It's gone, gone, gone. What? It's gone that fast. Move on, Pastor. Come on, say, Move on, Pastor. Man, I'm telling you, all right. So let's go on. Man became separate from God. He became an individual. Man now had the capacity to make his own determination of what is right and wrong. You making your own determination of what is right and wrong is self-righteousness. Like, you actually can do that, right? Well, get the plank out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of mine. That's just self-righteous stuff. I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell you folks how to be better. Because I'm better. I'm really not. I mean, what a great course on relationships, eh? We confess, our marriage has been rough. It's been a struggle. I threw luggage at my wife. Luggage. Yeah. You weren't here last week. Get the tape. So, <laughs> so, anyways, you know, and how does that help people? How many got helped by that? Just with one lady up here. She's in, she's in denial. So, I want to go to a conference where they have perfect marriages so I can espouse to be like them. Well, good luck. They're not telling you the truth. Perfect? Yes. Fabulous. Is my time up? (laughs) Now, I have the capacity to tell you what's a good marriage and what's a bad marriage. I'll tell you. Okay. Man developed his own system, scales of balances. He became the system maker and the judge. Here's, here's Billy Graham's message. God loves you. There's got to be more than that, Billy. I'm sticking with it. His whole life brought him before kings, princes, leaders. Give me another slide, quick, quick, quick. Adam lost sight of his own value when he ate. He fell short, darkness ascended on his mind. He ran, he hid from God, but God kept looking for him to restore his value. Give me another slide, we're moving. Genesis 5, three, and Adam lived 100 years and 39 and he begat sons in his own likeness and in his own image. So God created him in his image, but then after Adam, that fallen thing that got passed on to every man, after that, Adam, everything after Adam came in the image of Adam. And the image of Adam had to get broken off of mankind. And the image of Adam was, I have a different opinion of God. And that brokenness of, of, of opinion with God, it got passed all the way down through his genes. Go ahead. The ministry of the law led to the ministry of Christ. The law of imputed sin to all of mankind, from Adam to every last person who was born on the earth. It was nailed to the cross, making the way of the ministry of life, Jesus Christ himself. Go ahead. Galatians 3.22, but the scripture of the law was confined to, confirmed who, confined all, confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus this might be given to those who believe. So everybody got confined under the law. Everyone got confined under the law with sin. The law confined everybody under sin so that by one promise, everybody could be released. Romans 5.13, for until the law, sin was in the world. It was in the world, that bacteria, that virus. Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. So the law was brought in so that sin was imputed to every single person from Adam all the way through every generation. Go ahead. Go ahead. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right unto a man that at the end of his death. And that's really what, what Adam did. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted to make his own plan. The question is, why do you have a hard time trusting God? That's the question. Why do you have a hard time trusting God? Is he not trustworthy? Give me another slide. We're moving now. Sin is, here's my definition. Ready? Real easy. I, love, I, I like to oversimplify stuff. It works for me. Sin is selfishness. Sin is where you elevate yourself in the eyes of God, the eyes of yourself, or the eyes of others that you want to do it your way. You can have that at Burger King, but not here. I mean, there's churches. How do you want to do it? You want to dedicate, baptize? What do you want? You want four commandments? You want six commandments? What do you want? Have it your way at our church. Whatever you need, we'll give it to you. Just come on in and fill a chair. That's actually sinful. Sin is selfishness. First Timothy 1:15 to 16. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might be all long suffering as the pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And another one. Matthew 11, 23, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how we do it. Follow me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live lightly and freely. Boom. Here it is, Romans five seventeen. For if by the one man's offense, Adam's offense, death reigned, and we see the reign of death through one man, how much more now through one we might receive. Say, receive. It's receive. You don't achieve. You don't qualify for it. He qualifies you, and you receive the abundance of grace and the gift. How do you know your righteousness? I received the gift. I got it. It says, I'm Righteous. It's a gift, the gift of righteousness. They will reign in life through Christ. How do I reign in life, pastor? Embrace the abundance of his grace and unwrap the gift of righteousness. Amen. Isn't there more though? Don't I have to do more? Why? Well, I heard you got to do more. I heard you got to climb the mountain and you got to, you got to, Honor God as God. you got to have a proper opinion about what he says about you. Embrace it and follow it. One more slide. Hebrews 9.26. Here we are. We're at the table. How's that? We can do this. Can I have who's helping me out? Come on up. Come on up. You're helping me. Hebrews 9.26. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin. What's he going to do with sin? He's going to do away with it. To do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So there's two places. Every single person in the world is in one of two places. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's it. There's only two places to be. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That's it. There's only two types of people. So what are you? Where are you at right now? Do I have another slide? Do I? Here's the whole thing. I mean, how do you get in Christ? You get in Christ by faith. How do you deal with sin? The sin that's the problem is selfishness. It's selfish for you to say, I don't want to trust Jesus. I don't, even if it's that simple, I'm going to hang on and I'm going to hang on to my own plan. Right now, I'm still going to be an individual. I don't want to be a part of the family of God. I don't believe that Jesus is that good. I don't believe that he really loves me. I don't believe it's that easy, preacher. That's selfishness. Because there's only two places you can be. You can either be in Adam or you can be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? You believe. And when you believe, you say, I receive the abundance of grace and I receive the gift of righteousness. And I receive the privilege that he said to those who receive him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. Isn't that good? Come on, stand up with me. Now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, all right, because this is not impact church table. This isn't, you know, my table. This is the Lord's table. And I love that Jesus, so often when you read about Jesus, he wasn't preaching in temples and large conferences. He was sitting at kitchen tables and he was sitting with people. And we're at his table today. Aren't you glad he did that? He didn't say, come to my pulpit. He said, come to my table. And he set up a table. He said, come and sup with me. You see, it's not my table. It's not the church's table. It's the Lord's table. And you need to come. I want you to come and I want you to partake of what it is. The finished work of the cross, the blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. And you can do that today just by saying, I'm in the family. Now everybody's going to bow their head and close their eyes all right? And we're all praying But if you've never done that, if you've never said You know, I want to be in the family of God I receive you, I receive what you did For me, I'm not going to run my own Modified plan, I'm going to embrace you I have an opinion that you are good Your grace is enough and I embrace you as you are I'm not going to fall short of the glory of God I'm going to embrace the glory of God That my opinion of you is you are a good God And you want me to be a part of your family If you've never done that, I want you to do it today And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to count to three. I'm going to one, two, three. And at three, if you want to be involved in that, just say, I want in. At three, put your hand up so I can see it. Are you ready? Here it is. It's right now. It's you. This moment for you, designed for you. You ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand up really high. Really high so I can see it. Anybody? Anybody? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Wow. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're going to pray. And we're all going to pray. You put your hand up. I want you to pray. You ready? Here's what we're going to do. You ready? Just pray with me. Pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for removing sin. The Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. You took away my sin. You dealt with it once and for all. I embrace you as my Lord and as my Savior. I receive your grace and the gift of righteousness. And I confess, I'm a child of God, a part of your family. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit, that he would testify that I am indeed a child of God. Thank you. I'm forgiven, I'm healed, and I'm free. In Jesus' name. Christ alone, my cornerstone, the weak made strong because of the Savior's love. Father, we thank you, and we right now, I thank you that you removed sin. You dealt with it. Lamb of God, you took it away. You you didn't cover it. You obliterated it, and you took it away. You removed my sin as far as the east is from the west, and you've totally set me free. And I receive your opinion of me. I agree with your opinion of me that I was worth it. I receive your opinion of my brothers and sisters that they were worth it. I receive the opinion that you've given me yourself, that you are a loving and a wonderful father, that you would never, ever leave me or forsake me. How conflicted to say that you'd leave me and yet you said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you, no, never. And I thank you for your absolute covenant, your absolute unconditional love for me. And I thank you that I never need to hide and I never need to shrink back. I need to always run to you, to follow you, to honor you in every way in my life. Lord, I thank you right now for realigning ourselves with who you are, your opinion of ourselves and us, of our opinion of you and others. You are a great God. You are a glorious God. You are a wonderful God. And that's why we sing a doxology where we with words declare our opinion of you. You are a gracious, loving, heavenly Father. And so, Father, we partake right now. I command bodies to be made well right now. I command bodies to be healed right now. Because that's what you said. You said, by my stripes, you were healed. I agree with your word. I hold a high opinion of your word. I hold a high opinion of what you say. And I glorify your name by receiving your promise. And I glorify your name by insisting now that my body be well and that we be walking in health and life and strength in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for the blood, Lord. It's not my effort. It's not, you know, my striving. It's not me trying. It's not like Katie Carrot said. She said uh, per- following hard after that perpetual carrot that I never seem to be able to grasp. I don't have to grasp it because you grasped me. You laid hold of me. You brought me in. I didn't even know I was lost and you found me and you embraced me and you brought me in and you'll never let me go. And I thank you for the blood that testifies of a better promise and a better covenant. And I drink to the reality that I am in Christ. I am in Christ indeed. And we drink to full salvation in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hallelujah! 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 Yes, Lord. Well, Father, we thank you for your great love. I just pray as we go through this series and as we deal with all the tears in our lives, in creation, in the cosmos, as we deal with the tears and as we come to the full reconciliation of what you achieved in that beautiful Easter weekend. Father, work in our hearts and our lives. Bring many other people into this encounter with you. We pray right now for our neighbors, for our friends, for our loved ones. We pray, Father, that this place would be like a divine magnet where people could come and experience the liberty and the freedom of what it is to be loved by a God who's always loved them. Always loved them. May they encounter you as a great God. So I loose each and every one here. I loose them out into the mission field. I loose them with the Father's love. I loose them with the grace and the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. I loose them with the partnership of the Holy Ghost. I loose them in Jesus' name to minister the goodness of God everywhere they go in Jesus' name, amen.